0: Chapter fifty one of the Death Shot. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Thomas Bosk. The Death Shot by Captain Mayne Reed. Chapter fifty one Locked In. At that same moment when the Red Sabines are carrying off his daughters. Colonel Armstrong is engaged with his fellow colonists in discussing a question of great interest to all. The topic is sugar, the point whether it will be profitable to cultivate it in their new colony. That the can can be grown there, all know. Both soil and climate are suitable. The only question is, will the produce pay, sugar being a bulky article in proportion to its price, and costly in transport through a territory without railroads or steam communication? While the discussion is at its height, a new guest enters the room, who soon is inside, makes a speech which not only terminates the talk about sugar but drives all thought of it out of their minds. A speech of only four words, but these of startling significance. There are Indians about! 'tis Hawkins who speaks, having entered without invitation, confident the nature of his news will hold him clear of being deemed an intruder. And it does. At the word Indians, all around the table spring up from their seats and stand breathlessly expectant of what the hunter has further to communicate for by his serious air they are certain there must be something more colonel armstrong alone asks the old soldier showing the presence of mind that befits an occasion of surprise indians about why do you say that hawkins what reason have you to think so the best of reasons colonel i've seen em myself and so is chris tucker along with me where well, there's a long story to tell if you'll have the patience. I'll make it as short as possible. Go on, tell it. The hunter responds to the demand and without wasting words in detail, gives an epitome of his day's doings in company with Chris Tucker, after describing the savage troop as first seen on the upper plain, how he and his comrade followed them across the river bottom, then over the ford, and there lost their trail. He concludes his account, saying, "Where they went afterward or are now? tain't possible for me to tell." All I can say is what I've already said already. There are Indians about! Of itself enough to cause anxiety in the minds of the assembled planters, which it does to a man making them keenly apprehensive of danger. All the more for its being their first alarm of the kind. For while traveling through eastern Texas, where the settlements are thick and of old standing, the savages had not even been thought of. There was no chance of seeing any there. Only on drawing nigh to the Colorado were Indians likely to be encountered though it did not necessarily follow that the encounter should be hostile on the contrary it ought to be friendly since a treaty of peace had for some time been existing between the comanches and texans for all this colonel armstrong well acquainted with the character of the red men in war as in peace had not relied altogether on their pacific promises he knew that such contracts only bind the savage so long as convenient to him to be broken whenever they become irksome moreover a rumour had reached the emigrants that although the great comanche nation was itself keeping the treaty there were several smaller independent tribes accustomed to make maraud upon the frontier settlements chiefly to steal horses or whatever chanced in their way for this reason after entering the territory where such pillagers might be expected the old soldier had conducted his expedition as if passing through an enemy's country the wagons had been regularly corralled and night guards kept both camp settlements and outlying pickets. These rules had been observed up to the hour of arrival at their destination. Then, as the people got settled down in their respective domiciles, and nothing was heard of any Indians in that district, the discipline had been relaxed, in fact, abandoned. The colonists, numbering over fifty white men, to say nothing of several hundred negro slaves, deemed themselves strong enough to repel any ordinary assault from savages they now considered themselves at home, and with the confidence thus inspired, had ceased to speculate on being molested by Indian enemies or any others. For this reason, the suspicious movements of Dupree's half-breed servant, as reported by the young surgeon, had failed to make more than a passing impression on those around the dining table, many of them treating it as an eccentricity. Now, after hearing Hawkins, they think differently. It presents a serious aspect, is in truth alarmingly suggestive of treason the half-blood inside the house may be in correspondence with full-blooded indians outside for some scheme of thieving or burglary the thought of either is sufficient to excite colonel armstrong's guests and all are on foot ready to take action dupree call in your half-breed says the colonel directing it let us hear what the fellow has to say for himself tell fernand come hither commands the Creole, addressing himself to one of the negro lads waiting at table tell him to come instantly the boy hastens off to execute the order, and is several minutes before making reappearance. During the interval, they continue to discuss the circumstances that have so suddenly turned up, questioning Hawkins, and receiving from him minuter details of what he and his comrade have seen. The additional matter made known, but excites them the more, further intensifying their apprehensions. They are at their keenest as the darky re-enters the room with the announcement that Fernand is not to be found. "'What do you mean, boy?' thunders dupree in a voice that well-nigh takes away the young negro's wits is he not in the house that's just what he ain't mass louis the spanish indians nowhere inside this building we have searched all over the place call out his name in the storerooms and the courtyard and the cattle closure everywhere we think of we shout loud enough for him to hear if we were anywhere about he ain't get no answer sartin sure he know inside of dis establishment the young planter shows dismay so also the others in greater or less degree according to the light in which each views the matter for now on the minds of all is an impression a presentiment that there is danger at the bottom of Fernand's doings how near they know not at any other time his absence would be a circumstance not worth noting he might be supposed on a visit to some of the huts appropriated to the humbler families of the colonist fraternity or engaged outside with a mulatto wench of whom there are several belonging to Dupree's extensive slave-gang, far from ill-favoured. Fernand is a rather handsome fellow, and given to gaiety, which under ordinary circumstances would account for absenting himself from the house, and neglecting his duties as its head-servant. But after what the young surgeon has seen, above all the report just brought in by Hawkins, his conduct will not convey this trivial interpretation. All in the room regard it in a more serious light. Think the mestizo a traitor having come to this general conclusion they turn towards the table to take a last drink before initiating action just as they get their glasses in hand the refectory door is once more opened this time with a hurried violence that causes them to start as though a bombshell had rolled into the room facing towards it they see it as only the negro boy who had gone out again re-entering but now with fear depicted on his face and wild terror gleaming from his eyes the latter awry in their sockets with little beside the white scene, their own alarm is not much less than his on hearing what he has to say. His words are, "Oh Master Colonel, Mass Louis, Jim, and all, to place em four Indian savages, die outside in the courtyard, more'n a thousand of em and murder everybody at the dread tidings. Glasses dropped from the hands holding them, flung down in fear or fury, then all as one man make for the door, still standing open, as in his scare the negro lad left it. Before they can reach it, his words are too fully confirmed. Outside they see painted faces, heads covered with black hanging hair, and plumes bristling above. Only a glimpse they get of these, indistinct through the obscurity, but if transitory, not the less terrible, not less than a tableau in some horrid dream, a glance into hell itself. The sight brings them to a stand, though but for an instant. Then they rush on towards the doorway, regardless of what may await them outside. Outside they are not permitted to pass; before they can reach the door, it is shut to with a loud clash, while another but slighter sound tells of a key turning in the wards, shooting a bolt into its keeper. Locked in, by God! exclaims Hawkins, the rest involuntarily echoing his wild words, which are succeeded by a cry of rage as from one throat, though all have voice in it. Then silence as if they were suddenly struck dumb. For several moments they remain paralyzed, gazing in one another's faces in mute, despairing astonishment. No one thinks of asking explanation or giving it, as by instinct all realize the situation. A surprise, an Indian attack, no longer the future danger they have been deeming probable, but its dread present reality. Short while do they stand irresolute, Hawkins, a man of Herculean strength, dashes himself against the door in hopes of heaving it from its hinges others add their efforts all idle the door is of stout timber oaken massive as that of a jail and opening inward can only be forced along with its posts and lintels. these are set in the thick wall embedded firm as the masonry itself they rush to the windows in hope of getting egress there equally to be disappointed baffled the strong iron bar resist every effort to break or dislodge them. Though weakened with decaying rust, they are yet strong enough to sustain the shock of shoulders and the tug of arms. "'Trapped by the Eternal!' despairingly exclaims the hunter. "'Yes, gentlemen, we're caged to a certainty.' They need not telling. All are now aware of it too well. They see themselves shut in, helplessly, hopelessly imprisoned. Impossible to describe their thoughts or depict their looks in that anguished hour. No pen or pencil could do justice to either. Outside are the dear ones, near but far away from any hope of help, as if twenty miles lay between. And what is being done to them, no one asks. None likes to tempt the answer, all guessing what it would be, dreading to hear it spoken. Never did men suffer emotions more painfully intense, passions more heartfelt and harrowing, not even the prisoners of Cawnpore or the black hole of calcutta they are in darkness now have been from the moment of the door being closed for expecting to be fired at from the outside they had suddenly extinguished the lights they wonder there has been no shooting or whether the comanches carry firearms but as yet there has been no report either of pistol or gun they hear only voices which they can distinguish as those of the house servants male and female all negroes or mulattoes there are shrieks, intermingled with speeches, the last in accent of piteous appealing. There is moaning and groaning. But where are the shouts of the assailants? Where the Indian yell? The dread slogan of the savage? Not a stave of it is heard, not that resembles a war-whoop of Comanches. And soon is nothing heard, for the shrieks of the domestics have ceased, their cries coming suddenly, abruptly to an end, as if stifled by blows bringing death. Inside the room was a death-like stillness, outside the same. End of chapter 51